The word of the Lord from Genesis 47, uh, verse 28 to chapter 49, verse 28. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are, and the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan, to my sorrow Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go from Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, 
Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall be a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessing, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shores of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his peoples as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I await your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. 
The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the Almighty One of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. So ends the reading of the Lord. Friend, if I ask you, if we were having coffee right now and I sat down with you and said, what do you think is the single most influential factor in your life? What would you say to me? Would you say the home you grew up in? Or the school you attended? Or the job you landed or didn't land? Would would you say the, the friends that you've made or the friends you didn't make? The spouse that you married or wished you could have married? Or the children you had or, or didn't have? Maybe you would say, it's the money I lost or the money I still owe or the racism that I've experienced or or the sexual violence committed against me. I don't know exactly what you would say, but but I do know, I don't think this comes as a surprise, that our life is full of decision points where the, the choices we make have a profound effect on the future course of our life, right? And you can say the same thing about the choices everybody around us makes, that affect and influence our own in countless ways. So because of that, as a result of that, my life may look and play out very different than your life, friend. But God tells us, the Bible tells us, that the answer to the question, the single most influential factor in your life is the same as in my life. You know what that is? It's the plans and purposes of Almighty God. That's the single most determinative factor in your life. Listen to what the Apostle Paul declared to the Greek intelligentsia of his day. This is Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as, as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Here's what that tells you. Okay, whether or not you consider yourself a follower of Christ, our universe isn't an accident. 
It's not. Nor is it some sort of cosmic wind-up toy that an unknown being who may be out there but we're not really sure created and just kind of left to sputter along on its own. The world you live in, friend, is a theater. It's a stage for the constant, active, and personal outworking of the sovereign purposes of God. That's your world. And Jacob's actions and his words, I would add, in a particular way, in like the end of Genesis 47 through the end of Genesis 49, they declare that to us. They, they scream that, if you would. So he's lying on his deathbed, right? He's, he's surrounded by his sons, his grandsons. Okay, okay, that's kind of ideal, I suppose, if you're going to die. He's evaluating the past. He's considering the future. And in that moment, as, as he's choosing his final words, think about that. You know, we, we tend to give a lot of weight to final words, right? If maybe, maybe you've had a, a relative pass away. Maybe you've been there like I have. And, you, and you're in that room, the last place you'd want to be, but because you're there and it seems to be happening and it feels surreal, but it's still happening, and you hear him whispering, what do you do? You don't get on your smartphone, Right? You, you lean in. You listen. And at that moment, Jacob, choosing his final words, he reveals the fountainhead, this, the starting point from which nearly three chapters of what? Grief, instruction, joy, rebuke, and confident expectation, they just all come pouring out of this fountainhead. And notice the accent isn't on what Jacob has done or what other people have done to Jacob. What's he he focused on? What what are his last words centered on? They're centered on what God has done. On the activity of Yahweh. That's what looms largest in Jacob's mind as he's about to die. And rightly so. Rightly so. Because he perceives something. He sees something. What's that? He perceives that the plans and purposes of Almighty God have governed the course of his life. And, no less importantly, are going to govern the course of his children's life and his grandchildren's life. And in so doing, Jacob shows us something, friends. He shows us what it looks like to die by faith in the promises of God. It's the title of the sermon this morning, Dying by Faith in the Promises of God. We, we talk about living by faith a lot, right? You've probably heard that before if you've been in church a lot. We're living by faith, but dying by faith is no important, no less important. And in fact, the author of Hebrews, when he surveys all of Jacob's life, you know what he picks as the high point of the man's faith? It's what he does on his deathbed. Hebrews 11.21, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. If you've been here for a couple months, we've pretty much had the full tour when it comes to Jacob. But the author of Genesis, and ultimately the divine author behind him, has saved the highest example, the greatest example of faith for the end. 
And Jacob's example draws our attention, I'm convinced, to the essence of biblical faith. And the main point of these really three chapters, I'd summarize it this way. Faith believes, faith believes that the blessings God has promised to his people govern the future of his people. That's what faith believes. Faith faith isn't just a, I don't know, sure, God's real. (laughs) Or, yeah, you know what, I I, I just got a, I got a good feeling after the tacos last night that that it's all going to work out. No, no. Faith believes that the blessings God has promised to his people govern, order, determine, control the future of his people. You need to know, friend, that God's blessings don't just exist. They're not just hanging out there in space. They're in control. They're in charge. They're calling the shots. And they're bringing all of God's good plans and purposes for his people to pass. Why, why is that the case? Well, I think these chapters and Jacob's words really give us at least four reasons, okay? So we're looking at reasons why faith can believe that the promises, the blessings God has promised to his people govern our future. Why is that not just what the preacher man says? Why is that actually true? Four reasons. Here we go. Number one, the blessing of God, all these are going to be about the blessing of God, Blessing of God is something. The blessing of God is, first, guaranteed by God's word. It's guaranteed by God's word. Notice Jacob's last words to his children begin neither with gratitude for what Jacob has done nor regret for what Jacob has failed to do. They they don't begin with Jacob at all. (laughs) Did you catch that? They begin with God. Look at chapter 48, verse 3. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, also known as Bethel, and blessed me and said to me, Behold, Jacob, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. What's Jacob doing? He's he's recounting pretty much word for word what God promised him all the way back in Genesis 28. So God gave Jacob what? The gift of his presence. He appeared to him. He gave him the gift of his favor. He blessed him. But notice, friend, where Jacob's attention ultimately rests. His confidence culminates in the specific promises of God's word, doesn't it? So God appeared God blessed, and then most importantly, God said, right? God spoke. God God made a, a binding verbal promise of his covenant commitment to do two things. To lavish what on Jacob and his descendants? Offspring and land. He spoke that. The appearing was amazing. The blessing was comforting. But where did he linger? The word that God had spoken. Friend, if you're going to wrestle honestly, and I encourage every one of you to wrestle, especially if you're a non-Christian, wrestle honestly with who God is and his significance in the world today. Do that. Please do that. But know as you do that, 
that the most important thing you do in that wrestling is not to explore the recesses of your own finite, small mind. It is to give your attention to the Word of God. God hasn't invited you to commence your quest for understanding with what you think or what you believe or what seems right to you. God has lovingly and graciously revealed his eternal plans and purposes through his word such that neither the nature of his blessing, and hear this, nor how we come to participate in his blessing are a mystery. They've been disclosed. They've been revealed. They're known because God has declared them to us through his word. No less than God declared and revealed his purposes in Jacob's life. Presence, amazing. Favor, incredible. Word, the focus. So how did Jacob respond? What did he do? He believed God's word. He did that, and he demonstrated his faith by doing two things. So so consider this. First, he told Joseph to bury him in Canaan. Well, why would he do that? Well, because he believed God when he said, Jacob, I'm going to give you that land to you and to your offspring after you. He believed God. He He had yet to receive it, right? He's not even living in the land when he speaks these words. He's living in Egypt because it felt like Canaan was falling apart. But Jacob believed it would eventually happen that his descendants would live in the land for the simple reason that God said it would happen. Think about that. Bury me there, Joseph, because Egypt isn't going to be our home. Canaan will be our home because God's promised to give it to us. So bury me in Canaan. First example of his faith. But there's a second way he demonstrates faith in God's word that guarantees God's promise. What what does he do? Well, he gives Joseph a double portion of inheritance in the land by adopting his two oldest sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, as his children. So Ephraim and Manasseh were Joseph's boys by an Egyptian woman, his wife. But Jacob says, I'm going to adopt them as if they were my own sons, so they will have a portion of inheritance in the land that God has promised no less than the rest of Joseph's brothers. And by giving that to both Ephraim and Manasseh, he gave Joseph what? A double portion. And we're going to look at the significance of Jacob elevating the the younger son, Ephraim, over the older Manasseh in just a minute. But for now, this is what we don't want to miss, okay? Okay. Don't miss this because it's obvious and so we can just skip over it, but it's really important. In giving Ephraim and Manasseh an inheritance in the land, what is Jacob doing? Well, he's assuring them in no uncertain terms that God is going to give you that land, right? It's it's the overflow of his faith, his confidence in the Lord. God's going to be faithful to give us the land, so I'm going to go ahead and give you two portions of it. The foundation of Jacob's confidence, in other words, in the blessing of God, was the word of God. And and the foundation of our confidence today is no different, friends. So consider Psalm 119, 107. The psalmist says what? He's severely afflicted. You ever felt severely afflicted? (laughs) You feel severely afflicted right now? Well, 
Well, what what does he pray in his affliction? What do we pray in our affliction? Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Notice that. Not just give me life, but give me life according to your word. Why? Because it's the word of God that guarantees the gift of life from God to all who call upon him. So let's get practical. How does God's word guarantee God's blessing when you are three months behind on rent and worried you might be evicted and tempted to envy a wealthy relative? Hebrews 13, 5 shows you how. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. Just cause. No, no, for, remember God never says, just trust me. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? If you're in that spot, what kind of blessing do you need? Well, I would argue you need need insurance that the Lord will help you, that he's a good provider, and that no landlord or sheriff's deputy can get in the way of God doing exactly what he knows is best for you. That's what you need. So, do we just believe that? Do we will that into existence through the sheer power of human confidence? Do we we pluck a desirable notion out of the spiritual sky and make it true through the miracle grow of our faith? No. No, we believe that blessing will come to pass because God has said it will come to pass, right? It's the word of God that, that guarantees the blessing of God. So what has God said? Joshua 1.5, to which Hebrews 13 alludes, the Lord says to his people, I will not leave you or forsake you. He said that. So we believe it. The blessings God promises to his people govern the future of his people first, because they're guaranteed by God's word. You want an application point to that? It should make you confident. If that's in your heart, if you're believing that, it's guaranteed by God's word, that'll produce confidence. Point number two, the blessing of God is distributed according to God's wisdom. So it's guaranteed by God's word. Second, it's distributed according to God's wisdom. So think about this. The Lord's fulfillment of the promise of offspring in Jacob's life, which is one of the two big promises, was marked by an unrelenting combination of both joy and sorrow. Joy and sorrow. Joy and sorrow. So verse 7, Jacob recalls the sorrow of losing his beloved wife, Rachel, right after she gave birth to his youngest biological son, Benjamin. Think about that. Even as God was fulfilling the promise of offspring, it was in the midst of uncalculable sorrow. God's being faithful, and yet the road is filled with joy and sorrow. Where's the joy? Well, look at verse 11, chapter 48. Jacob declares the joy of not only being reunited with his long-lost son, Joseph, but also getting to see his grandchildren. Listen to the tenderness in what he shares here. I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. 
I mean, what is that but the lifelong experience of faithful saints in this world, right? God's been faithful. He does what he says he'll do. God kept his promise to Jacob, promise of offspring, by giving him all kinds of children and grandchildren. And yet the road of that fulfillment was marked by joy and sorrow. And yet as Jacob walked that road to get to the main point here, he learned something even more important, didn't he? He learned that God's blessing isn't gained through feats of human strength, human cunning, human wisdom, human deception. It's received as a gift of grace, right? In the midst of weakness and, and inability. It was the moments where Jacob found himself most helpless, most unable to protect or provide for himself, that God miraculously intervened to protect and provide for him. And he had to learn that the hard way, did he not, right? It wasn't until he physically wrestled with God in Genesis 32 that he learned the humility of total dependence on the Lord. But by the time he gets to his deathbed and lived a long life, you know what he's learned? He's learned that God's ways are not man's ways. That, that, that's a great place to amen that. Are we ready? God's ways are not man's ways. But sometimes we're slow to amen that. Why? Why, why could I be slow? Because I'm not sure I like that. I don't always like that. And yet Jacob's learned to walk by faith, hasn't he? He's believing that even when God's ways don't make sense, when they aren't what we expect or would even desire, they're still good. And worthy of our trust. So where do we see this? Well, when, when Joseph brings his sons forward for this ceremony of adoption and blessing to his nearly blind dad, Jacob crosses his hands. Why? So that he could grant the right hand of greater blessing to the younger son, Ephraim, instead of the older son, Manasseh. And notice when Joseph intervenes, assuring his father, Father, trust me, there's a far better way. Look at verse 19. But his father refused. That's the refusal of faith, isn't it? And said, I know, my son. I know. Did he ever know? He wasn't the eldest either. He, Manasseh, also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother, Ephraim, shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. That, that proved to be a true word of prophecy, by the way, informed by a mature faith in the God who distributes his blessing in keeping with his wisdom, not our own. Because centuries later, who was the dominant tribe in the northern kingdom of Israel? It was Ephraim. And yet it's not hard to hear my own words in Joseph's. Not this way, Father. This way. Hold on. This is what you're supposed to do. This is where you're supposed to send your blessing. This is how it needs to all work out. Not this way, Father. This way. You ever said that to the Lord? 
There, there is a, please hear this, friends, there is a big difference between the humility of crying out to the Lord for a very specific blessing and the arrogance of demanding that God do exactly what we want him to do, exactly the way we want him to do it yesterday. Big difference. Well, well, so well, did Jesus teach us to pray, your kingdom come, right? Your will be done. And he modeled that, did he not? I mean, this week, Good Friday, we, we turn our attention to this. We're the Garden of Gethsemane, contemplating his own crucifixion. What did, what did Jesus say? What did the Son of God say? The perfectly holy Son of God say, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Oh, come on, Jesus, where's your faith? Why, why, how about just saying, whatever you want, I'm okay? That would be lying. Because it would be to deny his humanity and undermine our entire confidence of salvation in the process. So what did he do as a man like us? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Friend, knowing God's blessings are distributed according to God's wisdom shouldn't make you concerned that God might not do what we think he ought to do. Ready for this? That's how he rolls. (laughs) You shouldn't be concerned that's going to happen. You should just know that's going to happen. And because of that, it should make you what? Content. Confident that the one who knows what is best will do what is best even when we don't see how it's all going to work out in our family, in our workplace, even in our church. That's the faith Jacob models. Look at verse 21. That's the faith that says to Joseph, behold, Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. It's the same faith we need today, friends. If you're a follower of Christ, God God has promised to do good to you, but his ways are not our ways. And and genuine faith embraces what makes no sense to man. Crossed hands with quiet contentment, knowing God's ways are infinitely better than our own. Listen to how Marcus Dodds sums up this point. And if this is as helpful for you as it was for me this week, check out our blog coming up. It'll be up there. He will give you, Christian the whole that Christ hath merited. But for the application and distribution of that grace and blessing, you must be content to trust him. You may be at a loss to know why he does not do more to deliver you from some sin or why he does not make you more successful in your efforts to aid others or why while he so liberally prospers you in one part of your condition, you get so much less in another that is far nearer to your heart. But God does what he will with his own. And if you do not find on one point the whole blessing and prosperity you think should flow from such a mediator as you have, you may only conclude that what is lacking there will elsewhere be found more wisely bestowed. 
Do you trust God like that? Do you believe when you look at one part of your life, Christian, and see all that is lacking in an area that is most near and dear to your heart, that the fullness of what God has promised you in Jesus Christ must be elsewhere more wisely bestowed. The blessings God promises to his people, they govern the future of his people because they're distributed according to God's wisdom. And that should make us humble. Point number three. The blessing of God is experienced in keeping with our character. Look at verse 15. Chapter 48. Jacob makes clear, very clear, that a faithful and loving God is the source of every blessing he has received and every blessing his children will receive. What's he say? The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. The angel, the physical manifestations of the Lord, who has redeemed me from all evil. May that God, the one true God, bless the boys. God's the source of all this blessing. That's what that screams. So, So you have an old man who spent his life laboring as a vocational shepherd, recognizing that he has always had a spiritual shepherd. And that the God who who kept his covenant promises in Jacob's life would be faithful to keep his covenant promises in the lives of his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so in verse 16, as the chosen mediator of God's blessings in his generation, Jacob announced that God would make them, what? Grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Ephraim and Manasseh, double portion of Joseph. And yet, there's a reason that Joseph, through Ephraim and Manasseh, and not Reuben, Jacob's biological firstborn, received the double portion. Is there not? That portion was traditionally, culturally, customarily, universally reserved for the firstborn. That would have been Reuben. But his firstborn, Reuben, proved unworthy of receiving it. And so did the next two in line, Simeon and Levi, who were no different. So in in chapter 49, verse 3, Jacob issues what what has to simply be called a public indictment. Remember, everybody's standing around of the sexual lust that Reuben arrogantly indulged back in Genesis 35 when he slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah. And at the time, Genesis simply reports that Jacob heard about it. But the indictment is saved for the end. And the spiritual significance of Reuben's actions are now fully revealed. Look at verse 4. Unstable as water, you, Reuben, shall not have preeminence. And then Simeon and Levi are similarly judged in verses 5 to 7 for, for violently and unjustly destroying the whole village of Shechem in Genesis 34. And so in both cases, what happens? You have three sons and their descendants who failed to experience the blessing they could have experienced because of their sin and wickedness. Where they were unfaithful, Joseph was faithful, and so God's blessing was distributed accordingly. 
Now, we have to be very careful here. So listen carefully. We have to be very careful in drawing direct parallels to our own experience of God's blessing today from these chapters. Why? Here's why. Because on this side of Jesus' death and resurrection, all that we're celebrating this week, God's favor and blessing is no longer reserved for 12 ethnic tribes in a strict way. It's freely available to all who come to Jesus through faith, right? So more on that in the next point. But, but there's a spiritual principle here that, that we need to not miss, that, that holds just as true today as it was back then. What's that? The content of your character will have a profound effect on your experience of the blessing of God. I'll say that again. The content of your character will have a profound effect on your experience of the blessing of God. And that's true in at least two respects. So first, to my non-Christian friends, know, please know, that God's blessing, okay, the smile of God's favor, the assurance of forgiveness of sin, Reconciliation with your creator, eternal life in heaven, isn't reserved for good people. It's not reserved for churchgoers or for people who seem to have their financial act together in upper middle class Midlothian. It's reserved for sinners who know that they deserve God's judgment and who abandon all hope of making themselves right with God and trust Jesus to make them right with God. And if that kind of saving faith in Christ is present, guess what? Follow. Your life will show the difference. Because you can't trust Jesus without obeying Jesus. You can't convince anybody, let alone the God of the Bible, that you're trusting him as your savior if you're not submitting to him as your Lord. Don't come to me and say, at this point in my life, I trust him as my savior, but I have yet to surrender to him as my Lord and I'm kind of waiting for that. That status in the kingdom of God does not exist. So while you don't become a Christian by being a good person, I'll say it again, you don't become a Christian by being a good person. You can't call yourself a Christian if the character of your life doesn't reflect the character of Christ. And so in that sense, the blessing of eternal salvation from sin and death is exclusively reserved for those who demonstrate the obedience of faith. God's God's favor and blessing, his salvation, isn't just kind of blindly bestowed on mankind like Jesus did amazing things and then we're all sort of swimming in the fullness of it. No. It's specifically given to those who choose to turn from sin and follow Jesus. And if you're not doing that, friend, I implore you, stop forfeiting the blessing of God. Do you realize that's what you're doing? You're you're not just saying, well, I'm kind of working through spiritual questions. But maybe you are. Wrestle, okay, with the word. But recognize, having come face to face with the eternal son of God and all he's done through his life, death, and resurrection to deliver you from sin, for you to look at that and say, yeah, you know what? Not so convinced is to forfeit the blessing of God. Come to Christ, friend, because all the blessings of God are yes and amen in him. But second, for my Christian brothers and sisters, listen carefully. 
recognize in the varied experiences of God's blessing among Jacob's sons a sobering reality. What's that? That while choosing to disobey the Lord in a specific area of life may not cause you to lose your eternal salvation, it will cause you to lose temporal blessings and eternal rewards that would otherwise be yours. So speaking of the testing of words and deeds when Christ returns, what what does the Apostle Paul say? 1 Corinthians 3. If anyone's work, think what we've done, what we've said, is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but, but only as through fire. Now I'm not saying Reuben, Simeon, and Levi were not followers of Yahweh. Okay, I'm not saying that. The corporate nature of Jacob's prophecies makes that impossible to determine. I am saying that the blessing they failed to experience was because of the flagrant sin they committed against God and man and that that has serious parallels in our own life today. That's what I'm saying. So, example, if you honor the Lord with your wealth today, you can expect God's provision. (laughs) Okay? If you don't honor the Lord with your wealth, you should not expect the same provision. If you honor the Lord with your body as a married man or woman, you can expect to reap the divine blessing of a strong and healthy marriage. If you remain enslaved to pornography or are unfaithful to your spouse, you will reap the opposite. In either case, The blessings God has promised to his people govern the future of his people, point number three, because they're experienced in keeping with our character. What should that make us, friend? It should make us hungry for holiness. Hungry for holiness. Answer four. The blessing of God is fulfilled through the person and work of Christ. The blessing of God is is guaranteed by God's word. It's distributed according to God's wisdom. It's experienced in keeping with our character. And best of all, it is fulfilled through the personal work of Christ. So there are so many prophecies in chapter 49 that if I walked through them and all the allusions to other places in scriptures where various examples of fulfillment are seen, this would be a very long meeting. I'm not going to do that. Okay? But I do want to point your attention to the most important fulfillment in all of them. It traces back to Jacob's words in chapter 49, verses 8 to 12. So look there with me. What's Jacob say? Prophetic blessing. Judah will receive praise and worship from his brothers. You know how rare it is for that word to be ascribed to a human being in the Old Testament? It should get your attention. Praise to Judah. He will enjoy victory over his enemies. He will reign over his brothers with the majesty and power of a lion. And notice his dominion won't be limited to the tribes of Israel. Look at verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So Joseph receives what? A double portion, the firstborn portion. But what does Judah receive? The promise of eternal and universal kingship, victory, wealth, and glory. And you know where that goes? <laughs> what well, goes next to King David, who years later in the Israelite monarchy ruled in Canaan, 
proving the initial fulfillment of the promise. But that was just the beginning, friend. Because there's another descendant of David, is there not? There's another ruler from the line of Judah whose, whose dominion is not limited to a strip of land in the Middle East. Heaven and earth are his footstool. Revelation 5, verse 2. Consider the scroll of God's eternal purpose to redeem and bless his people. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So what do you got there, friend? Well, you've got the true Israel, the one to whom all of them imperfectly pointed, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the reign Jacob welcomed from afar by faith, found in none other, than the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what you got. And through faith in him and in his saving work, all the blessings of God, check this out, all that's in Genesis 49, spiritual and physical becomes your inheritance, Christian. Galatians 3.29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs, according to promise. So check it out. Ready? The protection and deliverance and suffering that Joseph enjoyed and his descendants were promised in verses 22 to 24 is yours, Christian, because of Jesus. The sure help and lavish blessing of God in, in every realm of life in chapter 29, verse 25, is yours, Christian, because of Jesus. The blessing of being God's people, in God's place, under God's rule, nothing less than complete and total restoration of heaven on earth, pictured in all the symbolic prosperity in verse 26, is yours, Christian, because of Jesus. As Joseph was set apart from his brothers, so too, Christian, you have been set apart in Christ. All that is his is yours. Which means you are what? You are crazy rich. Forget crazy rich Asians. You are crazy rich. Beyond your wildest imagination. Because you're in Christ. The heir of all things. So please don't do this. Please don't do what I was tempted to do this week. And try to figure out, like where's Waldo? Which tribe am I in chapter 49? Which blessings are coming my way in keeping with my spiritual gifts and sins? No, don't do that, okay? Don't do that. If we're anybody in here, we're Reuben. We're Levi. We're Simeon. But, but what have we received in Christ? The double portion of Joseph and immeasurably more on account of the line of Judah. So this fullness of salvation Jacob was waiting for in verse 18, guess where that comes to fulfillment? In Jesus Christ. We're not waiting for the salvation. We have received the salvation of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God find their yes in him. All of them. So, so the blessings God promises to his people 
Remember the main point. They govern the future of his people. Reason number four, because they are fulfilled through the person and work of Christ. And guess what that should make you and me? Perpetually grateful. Perpetually grateful. Even as we walk this road of joy and sorrow like Jacob did. So what does faith believe, friend, in closing? Faith believes that the blessing God has promised to his people governs the future of his people. Why? Why why do they control the future, determine the future? Because they are guaranteed by God's word. They are distributed according to God's wisdom. They're experienced in keeping with our character. And they're fulfilled through the person and work of Christ. And in that way, Genesis 47 to 49 should do several very significant things in your heart. It should make you confident, humble, holy, and grateful. Confident, humble, holy, and grateful. Because there's, there's no better foundation, right? There's no safer refuge on which you can build your life than God's program of blessing in Jesus Christ. His, his plans and purposes will prevail. There, there's no other shepherd option. There's no other rock, no other redeemer, which means the most decisive, back to our opening question, the most influential, the most determinative factor in your life right now is what? Where you stand with Jesus Christ. That's what you got to wrestle with. But as you do that, friend, I encourage you, don't become preoccupied with your status. Am I in Christ? Am I not? Am I following him? Am I not? I don't know. I thought he did yesterday. I don't know about that. Ah! No. Don't fixate on your status. Fixate on your Savior. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. And so wherever your body and soul are, are thirsting for the blessing of God, run to Jesus. Cast the weight of your life on Jesus and trust yourself wholly and completely to Jesus day after day after day, confident that in him, the blessings God has promised this people govern the future of his people. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful. I feel like I start every post-sermon prayer with that, but I mean it, Father. We just can't come face to face with your word without being kind of dumped on with reasons for gratitude. Oh, Lord, we are grateful that when we look forward as your people, like Jacob did, into the future, that we have the glad confidence that it is your program of blessing that controls everything. Lord, thank you, though I alluded to Waldo earlier, that our life in Christ is not a choose-your-own-adventure. We need your help to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel that we might experience both your temporal blessings and your eternal rewards. And yet, Lord, we are so thankful for the security that we have in you, Jesus. And I pray now as we look to the means you have ordained to strengthen our assurance and the surety and the control and the confidence of your blessings for us in Christ through the Lord's Supper, that you would use this divinely appointed means, this means of grace, 
to increase our faith. We pray right now that you would make us a people who believe, really believe, that the blessings you've promised to your people really do govern our future. Give us that faith in your name. Amen.